You know, one of the things that Jordan and I have had to get used to in moving to North Carolina is the amount of trees that you have in the state. When we lived in Texas, uh, Texas didn't value trees as much as you do. We cut ours down all the time. But you preserve them, and we're grateful for that. But I remember even being claustrophobic at times, driving down 540 because there were so many trees and you couldn't see the horizon. It was like they were closing in on me, like I was trapped amongst the trees. Now I'm grateful for it and excited to see everything bloom in spring. But even when we moved into our house, we had to deal with an inordinate amount of trees. The lot had become overgrown over years and there were many that had to be cut down. Some of them we cut down for aesthetic purposes. We wanted to be able to see our house from the street. Others were a threat directly to our house, a noticeable threat to our house. They were too close. Limbs could have fallen on the roof. If, if the amount, right amount of wind came by, they could have blown over on our house. We had to get rid of some of these trees. But some of the trees that we wanted to keep also had to be cut down because there were things going on inside the tree that we hadn't noticed. There were dying trees, diseased trees that weren't apparent to us, but were apparent to experts that also needed to be cut down because they posed a threat to the other trees around them. I remember the arborists coming to our house, those entrusted to cut down these trees and, and saying to us, hey, I know you want to keep this tree, but you need to notice some things that that may wanna lead you to having this tree cut down as well. Do you see how brittle these limbs are? Do you see at the top of the tree how there's no foliage? Do you see all the bark falling off of this tree or how this tree is leaning? Do you see the, the fungus growing on this tree? That's all signs of disease. And even though they don't look as dangerous, they are even more so. The obvious dead trees were one thing, but there were, other, some, there were other trees that were threatening our yard, that were showing slight signs of disease, but the experts knew they would lead to more difficulty. They posed a different kind of danger. And sure enough, as the trees were cut, you could see the rot on the inside that was slowly beginning to show up on the outside. The disease will always make its way out. As we end our time in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers for us a warning. Matthew chapter seven, some ways feels very connected to a warning we heard last week regarding a wise man and a foolish man and the foundations upon which they built their house. Today, Jesus tells us in our passage that a tree is known by its fruit. Those who are truly a part of the kingdom of God will show evidence of being a part of the kingdom. While those who are not, those who are simply attempting to mimic observed behaviors, they will also eventually show what's truly on the inside. Because the disease of a sin-saturated heart will always make its way out. Consider what Jesus says later in Matthew as he builds upon this, this kingdom principle in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. 
He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What is truly in our hearts will eventually come out. And usually, Jesus says, it's by our mouths. Jesus offers us a a two-tiered warning in Matthew chapter 7 as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. he's He's offering a warning that's built upon this principle that a tree is known by its fruit. The first warning is an individual warning. He's going to press us to consider, as followers of Christ, what kind of fruit are we producing? There's a moment for consideration this morning, some spiritual fruit inspection. Am I bearing kingdom fruit? Do I look like Christ? Am I growing in Christ's likeness? Because... In the same way, a sin-diseased heart will evidence itself. A a gospel-transformed heart will also make its way out. And the second warning is more of a corporate one. As Jesus asks us as a people to consider the fruit of the people that we are following. And the fruit of the people with whom we are associating because who we listen to and who we follow will influence the kind of fruit we are producing in our lives. So we want to make sure that the people that we're allowing to make spiritual investment are calling us to good spiritual fruit, Christ-likeness. And these are both important questions because we live in a communal kingdom. There's a communal nature to the expression of our worship. We're called to be a part of a people. And there is a tremendous blessing that is meant to come from being a part of this people. One that I hope that we're even more encouraged by on the other side, hopefully, of COVID. We want to be a blessing to the people of God around us by bearing good fruit. And we also want to protect the people of God from those who would seek to harm it from those who would seek to introduce disease into it. So let's ask the Spirit's help today to do some spiritual evaluation, some spiritual fruit inspection, both in our lives and in our church, so that we can truly live in more faithful ways for the glory of God. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 to 6 and then jump down to verse 12, moving all the way to verse 23. Here's what the word of God says. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will you be measured? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? 
You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's go down to verse 12 because we dealt with seven through 11 last week. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are some heavy words, a lot happening in this passage, all of it having to do with discerning, learning in the power of the Spirit to discern good fruit from bad fruit. So let's begin our time in looking at this passage by considering three warnings or warnings are given, given by Jesus to three kinds of diseased bad fruit, both in the lives of individuals and possibly in the lives of our gathering as a whole. Jesus says there's, there are three bad fruits that should be warning signs to you in your personal life and in those that you associate with or that you listen to. Here are the three. Firstly, hypocritical judgment. Secondly, destructive teaching. And thirdly, religious delusion. Three dangerous, bad fruits. Let's walk through consideration of each one of them to to be reminded of why they are so dangerous for us as the people of God. Firstly, hypocritical judgment. We find Jesus teaching on this bad fruit in chapter seven, verses one to five and verse 12. And in this teaching, Jesus challenges unhealthy judgment. Not all judgment, unhealthy judgment. The kind of judgment that takes notice of other people's sin without any regard to one's own sin. This is a kind of judgment that is seeking to build pride, self-reliance, rather than a judgment birthed from humility and genuine concern for the spiritual health of my brother or sister in the faith. And it's antithetical to the gospel because it tries to build a faulty man-based standing before God thinking that, that we will please God or we will win God's favor if we're just a little bit better than everybody else. It kind of reminds me of a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. There's a, a Pharisee who's a, a very religious man, at least on the outside, 
who goes to the temple to pray, to be noticed praying. He prays in public. He prays loudly. And in his praying, he seeks to elevate himself. And he begins his prayer by saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. That's a warning sign. If you hear anybody in this pulpit get up and say, I am so much better than all of you. Something is not right in that brother's life. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like, and he turns and sees a tax collector praying right beside him, even not like this terrible, disgusting tax collector. But then Jesus gives us a picture of the tax collector's prayer, praying at least with an eye shot of this Pharisee, who's praying not for the praise of man, not praying to be heard by men or seen by men, but praying to God directly. And he says with his eyes closed before the Lord, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus asked, who's bearing good fruit here? Who's the one that actually understands the nature of sin? Who's the one that actually understands what pleases God? The Pharisee? or the tax collector, appearances can be deceiving. What is the fruit? The kingdom of God is not designed for people who seek to destroy or degrade or demean others in order to elevate themselves. Friends, we are called to edify. We're called to build each other up. We're called to encourage, to stir each other up, to love and good works. And while that may mean calling out sin on occasion, it does not mean that in doing so we are unaware of our own sin. In fact, it's only by an awareness of the danger of our own sin, by recognizing the log or the plank in our own eye, that we can call the brothers and sisters to repentance in love, to help them with their speck. We can't miss what's wrong in our hearts as we seek to call out what is wrong in the hearts of others. That's a bad fruit. It's hypocritical judgment. The second bad fruit that Jesus makes us aware of as a warning sign is destructive teaching. It's in the context of verses 15 to 20. Jesus says, you need to be careful. Be careful who you listen to in this life because there are people who will pose as teachers saying they can lead you to the right path, the path you've been looking on, who can lead you to the right gate. But in reality, they're leading you in the wrong direction. They will bring spiritual disease into your life and affect your spiritual fruit and that can affect the whole people of God. They are not good for you and they are not for your good. They say they want your good, but in reality, they're, they're using you for their own benefit. They got sheep's clothing on, but they're ravenous wolves. And Jesus here is helping us see the inherent danger of false teaching, why it's it's so appealing and so destructive. False prophets appeal to our flesh, our sinful desires in order to satisfy their own flesh and they call it spiritual. 
And when we believe their teaching, it sows bad fruit in our life that can infiltrate the church. I think one of the clearest examples of this happening today is the so-called prosperity gospel. There are other examples to be sure, but this one is at the forefront of our Christian culture. It, it infiltrates the books that we read, certainly the songs that we sing, and we need to be on guard. Here's what it teaches. The prosperity gospel asserts the assurance, the guarantee of divine physical, physical health and prosperity through faith. It teaches that health and wealth are the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and can be procreated by faith as part of the package of salvation, since in their mind, the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but also the removal of sickness and poverty. And here's what these false teachers say. You are due, you are owed health and wealth from God. All you need to do is simply claim it in faith if you are in Christ. And if you do not have health and wealth, it's only because you lack the faith to claim it. This gospel is false because it directly contradicts the teaching and the example of Jesus. And it appeals to our flesh, which is why we like it. Think about it. What do we ultimately want? If we're outside of Jesus, what is it that we want? We want health. We want to live forever. And we want the financial security of money. Now, I do want to say these things are not inherently bad. It's okay to desire to be healthy. It's okay to desire financial wealth in the right context. But what Jesus is, is challenging us here is to, to remember that our bodies, our lives, our resources, they all belong to him. And they are all to be used for his glory. I want you to hear me, church family, and I feel the need to say this every time we come a passage like this because of how, how pervasive this false gospel is in our culture and how easily we begin to, to bring segments of it into our own personal faith. There will be times when your health or our health will be put on the line for the sake of the gospel. There will be times when our bodies or our health may be called to be sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. Think about the example of the New Testament. Stephen was stoned to death. He was hit by rocks, not because he was unfaithful, but because he was so faithful. Paul was beaten to death and left for dead on the edge of town, not because he was disobeying God, but because he was walking in perfect obedience to the Lord. And certainly Jesus himself whose body was broken for our sins, whose flesh was pierced for our iniquities, who died upon a sinner's cross is a reminder to us. And friends, we are not greater than our master that health in this life is not guaranteed. Our hope is not placed in this life alone. We may be promised healing, but it's in hereafter. It's in glory. Where, where healing is guaranteed. Let's not place our hope in the wrong place. And there will also be times when we're asked to give up our wealth for the sake of the kingdom because we don't store up treasures for ourselves 
here. They only bring anxiety and worry as we saw last week in Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Again, consider the example of Jesus. Think about, can we just think about this for a moment, the glory and the riches of heaven. Don't you long for that day when we'll be able to, to be with Christ for all eternity? Can you imagine the glory, all that Christ was surrounded by in heaven, all that he had at his disposal, and yet, he left it. Can you imagine? He left it all. He sacrificed it all to come after us. To unveil and unfold the redemptive plan of God to reconcile all things in Christ. He came to a broken, sinful world to live a perfect, sinless life to die our death so that we could be given abundant and eternal life in him. Again, we're not above our master. There is wealth promised to us, but the riches are in Christ. May we never lose sight of those things. True followers of Christ will evidence an ultimate devotion to Christ and his kingdom, not to themselves and their kingdom. True followers of Christ will bear the fruit of knowledge about this world and not use it to their own advantage. I want you to hear me this morning. The path that leads to eternal life is narrow and few there are that find it. And friends, when people who claim to be shepherds begin to utilize the wisdom of the wide path to make the narrow path easier for us to swallow, there's a problem. We need to be on guard. We need to have spiritual attentive ears to be careful that we're not worshiping and seeking the wrong thing. That we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that when we do that, all of these things, everything that we need will be added unto us. And the third dangerous fruit that Jesus mentions is religious delusion. I gotta say, guys, verses 21 to 23, I've heard them my whole life. I'm not any more comfortable with them. They're some of the most concerning verses I have read in the entirety of the Bible. Let's just remember what Jesus says here. Verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Consider what Jesus is teaching us here. There are people who will know about Jesus. They will recognize his authority. They will teach in his name and claim the power of his name to do incredible things. And yet, they will not truly know him. They will never have repented. And they will ultimately be doing these things for their own glory, not that of Christ. They are among the people of God, according to verse 6. But they are unworthy of the things of God. Isn't it a sad reality that we can be religious and not truly connected to the one we claim to be serving. 
I've seen the evidence of this my whole life. There have been times where I have indeed been the evidence of this. People who believe a certain way, who've observed the Christian life, who've grown up in Christian homes, who know the ethic, the behaviors of being a Christian. They go to church, they serve, they do good things, but they do not know Jesus. They're not doing these things to please the Lord or out of an abundance of a joyful heart. They're doing these things to please their parents or they're doing these things to please man. They've never repented of their sin and believed in Christ. In many ways, it seems like they have more interest in looking like a Christian than in serving the Lord Jesus. Can I offer you a pastoral gentle reminder this morning that is of eternal importance What you do for Jesus has nothing to do with your eternal state. Our salvation is entirely dependent upon what Jesus has done, has accomplished. Now that's going to show up in your life in good works, in good fruit. But your good works in and of themselves is not what gains you favor and acceptance by a holy and righteous God. They are as filthy rags. The only place where true salvation is found is in the finished work of Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. The goal of this teaching from Jesus is not to sow unnecessary doubt. The goal is spiritual fruit inspection. What does your life reveal? Why do you engage in religious activity? We want you to ask these things because we don't want you to place your eternity or the confidence of your eternity in anything other than Christ. So let me ask you, why are you here this morning? Why are you in worship? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you sing? Why do you teach? Because it's just what you've always done? You're still pleasing your parents after all these years to make you feel better about yourself or something that you did this week to work off your sin, some sort of penance? Or because you've been approved by God in Christ and what's coming out is flowing out of a transformed heart because it must come out, the work of Christ. Jesus says, beware the bad fruit. Beware of it. If it shows up in your life, that's a moment for spiritual evaluation. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're outside the kingdom, but it is indicating that you're letting some of the old life, the flesh back in. But it could mean that you're not where you thought you were. And you were relying upon the wrong things to please God. Listen, friends, Jesus is too good of a shepherd to allow the disease of sin to creep back into our lives as his people. It robs us of too much, the blessing that God desires to pour out for us. And it limits our effectiveness in being salt and light to a world in need. We are called as a people to proclaim, taste, and see that the Lord is good. And we are called to offer them fruit to affirm that testimony. Friends, let's not offer them rotten fruit from a sin-filled life. 
Let's strive in the power of the Spirit to offer good, pleasing, Christ-like fruit. So what's our response to the warning of Jesus about this bad fruit? Our response, how we respond as a people, is to pursue in the power of the Spirit good fruit. To pursue Christ-likeness for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom. Let me just offer you three good fruits that are the opposite of the bad fruits that we should be pursuing, that we should be longing for, that are evidence of spiritual health. Good fruits in the kingdom of God, number one, let us pursue a gospel-driven concern for sin. A good fruit that will show up in the lives of the people of God is a gospel-driven concern for sin. I want us to know and to believe and to to see that the issue that Jesus is addressing with judgment is not noticing sin. We should notice sin. It's actually a good thing to notice sin in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. The issue is what we do with that noticing. Are we asking for God's help to discern how to deal with that sin? The issue is using the sin of others as an excuse not to deal with our own sin. Playing a dangerous comparative game where we're comparing ourselves to other sinners rather than Christ. And he, friends, is the standard. Listen, we are called to walk in community. You are called to be a part of a people for your good. Again, to encourage you, to exhort you, to build you up, to to stir you to love and good works and to rebuke you when needed. Friends, some of the, the most important times in my spiritual journey The times when the Lord has done his greatest work in my life is when when a, a godly brother or sister has come to me in love, in grace, and said, hey, what you are doing is not good. I think you could increase your effectiveness as a pastor or a Christian if you would think about this differently. We should rejoice when our brother or sister loves us enough and sees something in our walk that is not of Christ and gives it to us and says it to us out of their love for us. That is a gift. So I want us to be sure. Some people use this verse as an excuse or as a defense mechanism, right? When a brother or sister comes up and they say, hey, I've noticed something in your life that I think is limiting your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus. And what's sometimes the first thing we say? Well, God says, don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. Isn't that what Jesus says? Don't judge, lest you be judged, right? You're you're bringing judgment upon me and God's gonna judge you for judging me. That's not what Jesus says. Look what he says. Verse five, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Right, so that's the first step, yes. But then, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying don't help your brother or sister. He's just saying don't be prideful about it. Be driven by love. Be driven for, by a concern for them to be able to experience the full blessing of Christ in their life. Friends, we should give thanks when the Lord allows a brother or sister to play that role in our life. Let's just be sure we're doing it in the right 
way. Secondly, let's pursue a gospel-centered understanding of God's word so that we can see clearly those who would manipulate the word of God for their own advantage, for their own glory. A gospel-centered understanding of the word is given and understood by those who have been transformed by that very same gospel. We long to see and affirm the Bible for what it is, the story of God's gracious salvation of sinners. And we want him to get the glory and we want the, the people of God to get the blessing. In our own life, let's not seek to manipulate the word of God to give us what we really always wanted just from another source. I'm afraid we do that a lot in the Christian life. God, I, I want wealth, I want health. And I've heard Jesus does this. And so he's this genie, right? And so I'm gonna go to, to this genie now to get what I've always wanted. And there's no submission, no change of desire, no, no heart transformation involved in that process. We're just asking Jesus to give us what we've always wanted in our sinfulness. That's not the Christian faith. That's not gospel fruit. So let's be committed, friends, to set apart teachers and pastors that are committed to the whole counsel of God's word, that are willing to offer and teach hard teachings because they want the whole counsel of God's word to be heard. And let's be on guard about who we let have influence spiritually in our life. Know this. Not everybody who has a platform is worthy of that platform. Just because somebody's on TV, just because they've cut an album, does not mean they are spiritually beneficial for you. We've got to test the spirits. We need to have discernment. And if you need help saying, Jared, who are some trusted godly men, or you ladies, some trusted godly women that I can listen to and be poured into, we would love to help you with that so that you're being sowed into gospel-stirring, God-glorifying teaching. And finally, let us pursue a gospel-assured salvation. A gospel-assured salvation is a, is a good fruit of a heart that's been transformed by Christ. Let us as a people be rooted in the work of Christ, not our own. And let's commit to rejecting the cultural Christianity that can lead to, to so many having a false assurance of faith. Let me say it again because I've, I've counseled and walked with so many people throughout the years who grew up in the Bible Belt, who grew up in Christian homes, who believe that they've always been Christians. I don't care how often you come to church I don't care how much you serve, although those are good things. They will not save you. Those actions, those behaviors will not save you. Even walking an aisle will not save you. In fact, those things can build up a self-reliance and pride that will give you false assurance, but will eventually come out. We need to rest in Christ. The gospel, the good news, that what Jesus has done, has done is enough. 
and it is finished. Is that where you rest and you're standing before a holy and righteous God? Anything else is insufficient. So friends, are you evidencing the fruit or life of Christ? Go read Galatians 5, 22 to 23 this week. In your life, is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Or in your life, when you're not around Christian people, is there strife, jealousy, fits of anger, divisiveness? Now, again, I'm not saying that you're not a believer if those things are true. I am saying there's something wrong. And it may be that you need to sit down with a pastor or a godly woman or man, trusted follower of Christ, to do some spiritual discernment about where you are before the Lord. Because if we are in Christ, over time, we should look more like Jesus. Not perfectly, but growing more like him. And our assurance is in not what we have done, but what he has done, showing up in our life by doing the will of the Father. Remember this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... Here's the promise. The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, that person is the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is your life in Christ committed to the things of God? That's good fruit. That should give you assurance of where you stand before God. Because friends, if we don't take this warning seriously, if we don't, pursue the good fruit, if we ignore the bad fruit such that our own lives and our church becomes diseased, ridden, our tree will be cut down. The Lord will remove our lampstand as a people for his name and his redemptive purposes. And I think all of us in this room want the Lord to use us as a people to make his name great to make him known throughout the nations. So let us commit ourselves to pursuing the good things because a gospel-transformed heart is making its way out and it can't be stopped. Wherever you are, will you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him help to help you know how to respond. Can I ask you this question? Do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Have you considered everything else lost for the sake of knowing Christ? Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The gate's name is Jesus. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. He didn't promise you an easy path, but he promised you he would be with you on it. And he's worth it. He's worth it. Do you know him? Are you following him today? I can't think of a better way to respond today than by giving your life to Christ in repentance and belief. And in just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front who would love to speak with you more about Jesus. For the rest of us, 
Let's do some fruit inspection. How's the fruit of our life? Is there ungodly, hypocritical judgment in our life? Where we're so worried about the speck and others that we're missing the log in our own? Or are we truly concerned with the sin that we see in others because we know the destructive nature of sin in our own life. And we just desire for our brothers and sisters to walk forward in godliness. What about destructive teaching? Are we listening to things that stir up sin or cause us to forsake sin? Challenge us and encourage us toward Christ's likeness or to embrace a love for the things of this world? And are we letting it infiltrate into our circles, our Sunday schools, our small groups, our homes? We certainly don't want people to have a false assurance. Is there religious delusion in your life? building your life upon sand, not the rock? Would you just let the Lord, ask the Lord to reorient the hope of your salvation today? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me remember what secures me before a holy and righteous God, the finished work of Christ, and rest in that. And whatever I do, whatever behavior or activity comes out of that is a fruit of a work that he has done not to earn but to respond to what has been freely given father help us to always rest in that gospel truth and never lose sight that only by grace in faith have we been saved not of works so that we cannot boast but we have been saved for good works for your glory and our good Find us faithful, we pray, as a result of our time together before the word. In the name of Jesus, amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.